First Class Sailing, take the helm. I'm Kerry Herford-Jones. Welcome to another in the series of First Class Sailing podcasts. I'm delighted today to welcome as a guest a gentleman who came to sailing rather later in life and gave up his career in IT to then get on the bottom rung of the sailing industry as a deckhand on the Challenger boats. He came through the world's toughest yacht race in 2004 and 5, sailing a 72-foot racing yacht with a crew of 18, racing the wrong way around the world. 15 years on from that experience, he's now clocked over 260,000 sea miles, completed another round-the-world yacht race, this time a skipper, and six transatlantic arc races, six fastnet races, and 16 Atlantic crossings, to name but a few. He is principal of his own RYA sailing school and instructs and examines for a number of other sailing schools, including first-class sailing. Please welcome then Ricky Chalmers, Great to talk to you today, and thank you for joining us on today's podcast. No problem. Great to be here. Uh, Ricky, you've done thousands of miles at sea, but before we get to how that all worked for you and why you did what you did, let's let's start with what got you into sailing in the beginning. Well, traditionally people then say that they started sailing as a kid, but not for me. Uh, it was a total accident. I was in my mid-30s pursuing a career in RT, never been on a sailing boat before, and um, accidentally booked on a... A sailing holiday. We'd actually booked on a, a two-week on narrow boats on the Welsh Canal, and they phoned us up and said we couldn't get the first week because of some engine problem. So I was scrabbling around to find something else to do for our two-week holiday, and thought, well, sailing boats, uh, narrow boats, all pretty much the same sort of thing, and so booked a week on a sailing boat for myself and my family. Uh, turned out I'd booked on a competent crew course, and we absolutely loved it. And then when we did the week on the narrow boat, we found that was actually quite boring. You having got your feet wet, you then ended up buying a boat. Yeah, so um, I suppose going through a midlife crisis, or at least that's what my daughter tell me, looking for something to do, something, some excitement. And after we did this competent crew course, we um, went to the Southampton Boat Show, looked around at boats, walked out of the Southampton Boat Show with a Laser 2000 dinghy, Realised that was totally different to the uh, Saddler 34 that we'd done our Compton crew course on. Had another look and we bought a Beneteau 38. When we got that finally in about April the next year, hopped on board and then realised that the Compton crew course had taught us nothing about how to sail the boat, but more importantly how to park the boat. So we realised that we didn't know everything and started at the bottom doing our day skipper course and carrying on until eventually... Uh, finishing our ROA series of courses. And then you ended up crossing the Atlantic, or in fact more than that, actually sailing around the world. Yes, yeah, so just so happened the boat was moored in a marina called Ocean Village in Southampton. We'd just come back from passage we'd done, I think it was down to Plymouth and back. Arrived back on the boat and there were all these big 72-foot steel boats with banners all over the place and a big marquee on the um, marina mall. We were intrigued by what was going on and uh, walked into the uh, tent, spoke to some people and walked out having signed up to do the 2004-5 BT Global Challenge. <laughs> you make it just sound like a walk in the park. This is no ordinary challenge. Yes, I didn't quite realise at that stage what the race entailed, but pretty soon I did my first training course down in Plymouth in November, I think it was in November 99 or so, first training course for the race, uh, in the middle of winter, off of Plymouth, down to the Lizard, 
Um, it was horrendous force nine and massive big waves and stuff, but absolutely loved it and realized that, yes, I really did want to do this, this race around the world. The, the big difference of the Global Challenge and many other races that go around the world is it was the only one which goes the so-called wrong way around the world. So instead of going down to Cape Town and turning left, you go down to Cape Horn and turn right. But going the wrong way around it brings its own challenges, but clearly one that you relished. Uh, yeah, it was uh, a very different life to what I'd lived before. I really loved the uh, challenge of it. I loved sailing. I loved the adventure. And by the time we got to Cape Town, I realized that I didn't want to go back to my day job when I finished the race and that I was going to change my life entirely and um, pursue sailing as a career. And a question that I have to ask you, because you can tell I've been fed this question by somebody else, is, um, Ricky, what, what is a Spanish windlass? OK, so a Spanish windlass is a, a way of fixing things, really. Uh, it's a loop of rope, and uh, then you put a big screwdriver in and twist, 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 and it tightens things up. So... On the Global Challenge race, one of the spreaders, which uh, support the mast, really, that started peeling away and breaking. Um, and we used a Spanish windlass to uh, spread it back onto the mast. Uh, essentially, it's a loop of rope. And then you put in a, a big screwdriver and twist away. You, again, you just make all this stuff sound so easy when you think about the oceans that you're crossing there and the, the wilderness of it all and the fact that you're actually out there having to make the, these repairs, these running repairs happen with clearly no outside support. You're on board that boat and you've got to get that boat from A to B to C to D and so on. Uh, and, you, and you're on your own, really, as a crew. That is part of the challenge and the enjoyment of sailing, actually, is that you are on your own. And often the uh, the repairs are the most fun part of it because you can't just let somebody else do it you have to do it as i found out when i skippered the race around the world uh, in 2007 a lot of the job of a skipper is actually crew management and maintaining the boat and almost your entire life is spent busy trying to fix something and trying to fashion bits of pieces together to fix something because you can't just go to the shop and get the right piece so that leads into that whole uh, conversation about rig failure because you have actually experienced a massive rig failure, haven't you? Yes, I did the 2007-8 um, Clipper race around the world on a boat called Durban Clipper. Its official name was Durban 2010 and beyond. It was uh, sponsored by Durban Tourism as part of the um, 2010 uh, Football World Cup campaign. And yeah, we left Qingdao in China, bound for Hawaii, and got as far as about 900 miles from from Hawaii when the uh, rig fell down, uh, the mast fell down. Yeah, we had to uh, be inventive. <laughs> that conjures up all sorts of things, but, but clearly you managed to get the job done and, and got through it and out the other side. How do you cope with that kind of experience, particularly, as you quite rightly say, in terms of actually managing your crew in that kind of situation? Well, the, the crew management is quite interesting. The, the first thing I obviously wanted to do was make sure everybody's safe. So there were five people on deck at the time. I was below deck actually at the navigation station speaking on the VHF to uh, another skipper in another boat. And I'd actually just try to put the VHF handset back into its cradle when I heard this massive crack. I actually thought it was a bit of static electricity and lifted the, the uh, handset off again to check that there wasn't some issue. Uh, yes. And then then obviously heard all the screaming from on deck saying that the whole mast had come down. I went up the companionway steps and stupidly, I guess, looked up 
to uh, where the mast and sails would be and there was nothing up there. At that stage it was the boat had come to a stop, it was lolling around in not too bad uh, sea condition and right. it was a case of just trying to sort out the mess. First stage was to just make sure the crew on deck was safe and they came down below, uh, woke up all the crew because we had a crew of uh, 16 I think at that stage. Right. They all woke up and got in their life jackets. I went up on deck and just uh, assessed the situation. The mast was hanging down on the starboard side. It was rubbing against the side of the deck, uh, side of the hull. It was taking off a lot of the branding, which is annoying because you spent your life on that race making sure that the <laughs> boat was boat was looking good and properly branded. But I could see it was also rubbing through the um, gel coat and into the fiberglass. Yeah. So uh, the worry at that stage is um, that if the mast punctures the hull, then you've got a whole whole different situation. So the priority at that stage was just to clear the mast away from the hull, stop that uh, abrasion, and then sort the mess out after that. So yeah, it, it took about four or five hours. Uh, of course, happened at three in the morning, so it was all dark. Of course it did. Always, always going to yeah, happen, you know it's that. The, the law, law of the sea, really. <laughs> yeah, so next morning we had sorted it all out and we are just bobbing around, trying to establish what to do next. You've done by your own estimation uh, over 260,000 sea miles. From all of that experience, from all that time at sea, with all those people you sail with, couple of uh, things you've learnt in all that time at sea. What, what would you say you've really taken from that experience? The, the, the biggest thing is, is making sure you do things properly. A lot of sailing is pleasurable and, and nice and, and you enjoy it. And sometimes you, you don't do the things that you, you know you should do. So a daily rig check, for example, or daily deck, deck walk, it's called when you're sailing across oceans, going up on deck and you know, walking around and checking things. And when things go wrong, often they go wrong with small bits and pieces um, and fixing them immediately rather than, than waiting. Small problems always turn into big problems if you don't sort them out. There's a couple of yeah. well-known and, and quite uh, useful sayings in sailing. Never walk over a job, you know, always make sure that, that things are done. Most things are all about preparation and making sure that problems don't happen, but invariably things do happen at sea and then it's just making sure you fix them you do a lot of work now with first class sailing what's the relationship between you and them that, that works from your perspective well initially after the global challenge i then got qualified as an instructor and started teaching on their boats they at that stage had two uh, bavarias i think i think they've since then replaced them a number of times with new boats but I originally started uh, instructing on their boats doing day skipper and competent crew type courses and then moved back to sailing on big boats actually back on the same boats that I did the global challenge race on because an organization called tall ships had bought four of the challenge boats and uh, started sailing with them then Charlie at first class sailing was looking for a skipper to uh, skipper one of the challenge boats on I think the first thing I did for him was around the island race Right. using the challenge boats and so there was a nice tie up there i'd worked for charlie before at first class sailing i was working for tall ships uh, so i started skippering boats uh, for charlie on that right. and then after that in i think 2014 was the first arc i did uh, which is the atlantic race for cruisers across from the canaries to the caribbean and since then most of the uh, big boat racing i do for first class sailing uh, has been on the on the tall ship challenger boats uh, i still sail f- uh, uh, some of the small boats for them and do run some courses 
such as C survival courses and first aid courses right. as well. But um, most of it is on the, the big challenges. Which is a bit like being reunited with old friends. Yes, the, the challenges are, I guess, my favourite boat, though, the ones that I fit, did the first big ocean sailing on. They are fantastic boats. They're designed for sailing the wrong way around the world. They steal, they're 50 tonnes, and you couldn't wish for a better boat to be on uh, if you're sailing across an ocean. So, uh, clearly, from your perspective, when we come out of the, uh, the situation we're in at the moment, great opportunities for people to really get behind the wheel of, of something quite challenging, hence the name, but by definition, the boat themselves. And you're going to be working with first-class sailing for the foreseeable as well. Yeah, I think the, the next thing that's scheduled, uh, obviously the, the, the sailing schedule has been uh, modified quite a lot because of the coronavirus, but I think the next thing we're doing is uh, in September around the island race, uh, which has been postponed from its normal June start date to September. Hopefully that goes ahead. Again, that'll be on uh, the 72-foot challenge boats for first-class sailing. Really looking forward to that one because they've told me that they're going to try and get a crew made up of uh, all the people that myself and my wife Kirsty have sailed with over the years on the Challengers. Oh, brilliant. Oh, what a great idea. And Kirsty, of course, was uh, your first mate, uh, hence the romance blossoming while you're at sea, I presume. Yes, so uh, Kirsty is also now qualified as an instructor and normally on the challenges, she's my first mate. It makes for a happy relationship, really. Last couple of questions for today's podcast. One I know a lot of people always are interested in uh, is, of course, the boats, the, the, the yachts like Gypsy Moth 4. Now, that must be quite an experience for you personally to be skippering a historic yacht like that. Yeah, it's one of the uh, more quirky yachts that Kirsty and I have sailed on. I guess the first sail we did on it was around uh, the UK back in 2017. It was the 50th anniversary of Chichester returning from his round-the-world um, sail on Gypsy Moth 4. So we took her around the UK as part of that celebration. Brilliant. And since then, we've done lots of sailing on her. She's probably the most uncomfortable boat I've ever sailed on. She's obviously right. designed for, for single-handed sailing. Uh, so she's yes. quite cramped downstairs, normally with a crew of four, which is what we uh, sail her with. So four crew and then myself and Kirsty. So it's six people on a boat designed for one well, and she's yeah, and yeah. she's got got some some quirky habits i think <laughs> chichester was pretty well known for hating the boat and when he got back uh, from his round the world uh, 67 was it he, he didn't want anything further to do with uh, the boat and it, it sat there and languished for for many months mm. so it's it's not the most comfortable boat to sail but it's beautiful it's got lovely lines it's actually quite easy to sail and as a crew because it's designed obviously for single-handed sailing so every job is fairly sure. simple on the boat uh, and she sails very nicely uh, in the right sort of wind she is very slow we tried to do the uh, fast net race last year uh, on gypsy moth and realized that actually she's not much of a racer when it comes to uh, competing <laughs> against modern boats because she was built in 1966-1967 she's very heavy made out of mahogany and yes doesn't really sail so we had a a rather pitiful experience sailing to the Eddystone <laughs> Lighthouse and back where we finished more than a day behind oh the, the second and last place boat. Uh, but it's, it's the experience, Ricky. It's the experience. Yes. No, I mean, she's a she's a, a quirky boat and I, I do quite like sailing on it just simply for the fact that when you turn up in a marina, everybody looks at you and you end up being able to get yeah. the prime position. We took her down to Le Sable de Long. Yeah 
the year before last, 2018, for the start of right. the uh, Golden Globe race, which was okay. uh, a reenactment of uh, Robin Knox Johnson and Crowhurst and various other people sure. Uh, sure. doing the, the Golden Globe race in, in 1968, I think it was. And so Chichester and Gypsy Moth obviously started that whole idea of sailing around the world uh, single-handed. We were there with Gypsy Moth, forms part of the start line for the, uh, uh, for the Golden Globe oh. race, along with Suheili which is Robin Knox Johnson's uh, uh, boat. So that, w- that was quite good fun, and it was quite enjoyable, actually. Um, the fleet moved off to the Sobde Long for the start of the Golden Globe race. Best memory of that was sailing after the fleet and uh, Sir Robin Knox Johnson on Suheili. A glorious moment as Sir Robin wasn't very impressed as us coming sliding past her. Suheili seemed to be struggling a little bit. So he had other crew on, the, on board with him on Suheili and every now and again he sort of poked his head up and had a look out and gave me a scowl and then went back down below. And when we did pass him and then I jibed in front of Suheili, got some lovely pictures of Suheili. Sir Robin's really done her up nicely now. I got some lovely pictures and lovely video of, of her sailing quite nicely. But um, yeah, he wasn't impressed and didn't, didn't bother coming back on deck to have a look at us. <laughs> Just waved from down below. Last question for you. People thinking about getting on board Challenger, getting on board, uh, getting out there and getting sailing, doing some of the longer distance stuff with you, with first class sailing. What would your recommendation be to them? What would your thoughts be to pass on to people giving that consideration at this moment in time? The the bigger boats are very different from little boats. Uh, and one of the nice things about doing, say, the Ark or the, uh, the Fastnet race is taking people who've got little boat experience, uh, so they've done their day skipper or their yacht master even, but they've only ever sailed on a, on a 40 foot boat or 36 or 38 foot boat, uh, and seeing the uh, joy in their faces and the, and the sudden realization that uh, as boats get bigger, the loads get much more extreme and the ropes get much mm-hmm. thicker and, and the whole process of sailing uh, is very different. But that's part of the enjoyment that I get out of sailing is is teaching people and seeing how people develop uh, from sailing small boats to crewing on 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 large boats. Um, mm. So that is quite part of the enjoyment. You've got to be a little careful in, in jumping straight onto a big boat yep. from having no sailing experience. We have had quite a lot of success with that. Sometimes it's easier to teach people because they don't have all the little flaws and faults which they've uh, and mistakes which they've got into, bad habits they've got into, and you can teach them f- from scratch. But often they have the sort of sunny brochures <laughs> and blue skies and blue flat sea with dolphins jumping in mind. Uh, and then they, they realize that the North Atlantic in yeah. particular can be quite a rough place and they don't quite know what they've let themselves in for. But it is enjoyable and I think it's it's very accessible. People from all backgrounds and all skills can get on board and, and experience what ocean sailing is all about. In a reasonably controlled environment or at least one with the bright people on board giving you the support to help you through it and to get the best out of it as well. Yeah, the, the nice thing about sailing on the challenges is, first of all, you've got a brilliant platform. 
It's a boat which is uh, really suited for ocean sailing. It's designed for that. It's quite luxurious downstairs or down below. People have their own bunk. You've got decent cooking facilities and decent saloon. And uh, it's not it's not similar to a lot of other race boats, hmm. uh, if you like. If if you look if you look at you know a Volvo boat or a Clipper boat, they're designed for out and out racing, and they they're pretty sparse downstairs or down below because they were designed for single boat racing or single fleet racing they could make them quite luxurious down below so it's a very safe platform as the first thing secondly uh you you with a bunch of uh, a bunch of other people a crew who typically have mixed abilities but you can always learn something from other people and uh, then finally they are are, are if you like sailed by uh professionals so uh, joining me i have a, a fully qualified uh, professional first mate normally that's Kirsty, and then uh, we also have two uh, watch leaders who are uh, are um, well experienced in the boats as well ricky you've you've sold it to me uh, absolutely brilliant thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and uh, really for getting across some of your experience but more importantly teeing up what people could experience or could look forward to experiencing uh, with you on one of the Challenger boats or, uh, or other ones, including the historic yacht. So thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have because it's been a real delight. No problem, mate. I hope to see you sailing with me soon. Business On Board with Kerry Herford-Jones.